Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about where you should draw from in an emergency, as well as safe harbor tax withholding. That and more is coming up next. Stick around. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Good to see you, bud. What's going on? Not a whole lot. It is getting ready to move into wedding season. And I think there's a lot of wedding related content floating around, or at least in this area. This is wedding season coming up September, October. And I saw a new idea for a wedding gift, Dan. I'm curious what you think of this. The gift is a bond that matures in 10 years. Not that exciting at this point. But the caveat is if the couple is still together, they get it. If they're not, the gift giver gets the bond back. It's like a triggered bond after 10 years. Do you like this idea as a wedding gift? Of course I love the idea. I like anything that has an underlying hint of spite to it. So I'm in favor of this 10-year marriage bond. All right. You're going to put some strings on your wedding gift, like a like a bread maker that self-destructs if the couple doesn't make it. That's what you want is is basically to take away the happiness that you've tried to bestow upon them with their wedding gift. Correct. I traveled to your stupid wedding. I booked a night or two, wherever the hell you decided you were getting married because you decided it was a good idea. I put a lot of effort into getting there to watch you say vows. I'm not just going to hand you over money because we went through that song and dance only to have you undo it later and then potentially repeat down the road. I think the the flip side to that, Dan, is that the wedding vendors are also not going to return the money if the couple doesn't make it. So they're going to have to pay for that wedding and that meal and the celebration, the joy that they've given you for going to that wedding, whether they make it or not. So I I do think that they're still out of pocket the value that they're trying to deliver to you as part of that experience, but you're going to put strings on the gift. So many strings. I think they're, I don't know how all of you out there feel, There are probably a handful of weddings that I've been to that have delivered joy to me. I think mostly it's all about joy for the couple. And maybe they think people are going to be excited to get there. But it's really a chore in most cases, especially at our advanced age. It's a lot of work to get dressed up and make plans, get a babysitter and get out of the house. I'd rather just avoid all of that. I think you should probably just send the gift instead and not go if that's how you feel about it. And I'm in that boat, too, because I am the world's worst wedding guest. I don't want to be at anybody's wedding, quite frankly. (laughs) You're at a lot of people's weddings, Uh, not as a wedding guest oftentimes. Correct. No, I I only show up when I'm on the payroll. That's, That's really my prerequisite for coming to a wedding. Not only do I require a meal, I require a paycheck. Now, the next wedding I'm planning to attend, at least, I will also be a... uh, Not a guest. Well, I guess I'll also be a guest, but I'm going to be an officiant. So if I have a chance to perform, I'm a little bit more excited about being there. That is fun that you're going to get to do. And I've I've seen you do a wedding because I saw you uh, officiate your brother's wedding, which was phenomenal. And you were very funny when you did it. So I think those people, whoever's attending that wedding is in for a treat. I hope so. That was my one and only. And clearly someone thought enough of me to, to ask me to do it again. So we'll see how that one goes. Good stuff. All right, so let's get into... I think we may bounce around to a couple topics today, but this came up 
in a situation, and I think it leads to an interesting question, which is, what are the circumstances that you would pull money out of your long-term investments in the situation of an emergency? And in particular, I think of the Roth as the easiest of your long-term buckets to take money out of because it doesn't have penalties associated with it. When you put money into a Roth IRA or even a Roth 401k, you're creating essentially a basis because you're putting after-tax dollars in there. And you have the ability to take that basis back out. Now, if you take your gains out, if you take the appreciation out, you're still going to face some penalties and some taxes. But you basically always have access to that basis which I think leads several things to happening. Number one, it leads to certain advisors talking about the Roth, like it's a savings account. Like, well, you can always get access to it. That's a little worrisome to me for several reasons, but it also means that that money's available for you in an emergency. And so that's what I wanted to go down the path of, Dan. What are the situations that you think of if you were facing either a big bill or you had gone through a period of unemployment and you'd racked up some debt as a result of that? If you, you know, what what would actually lead you to saying, I'm going to pull money out of that Roth and cover these expenses that I have going on? Yeah, I think because of the way we talk about Roth IRAs as one of the most precious assets that we have in financial planning, people oftentimes don't think about that as an available resource. And I think in general, that's a good thing. You don't want to willy nilly dip into it because you had a major expense and here's a pool of money you can use to pay for it. But when we talk about carrying high interest debt, in particular credit card debt for a long period of time, that can be very, very expensive and compound on itself to the point where you're really creating a financial burden for yourself and losing the ability to make other good financial decisions. And if you're able to draw from a Roth to take care of that, I think that's a pretty productive way to use that money, assuming that you can take care of the underlying behavior that got you there. So maybe it was a one time event. And you just really need to get out of a bind. But if you have a habit of spending and building up credit card balances, you know I don't think that that Roth is really the safety net you need. I think you need another, another awakening moment to take care of that issue. I really love that you put that in there as the caveat, because you're right. I, I do think people get themselves into financial predicaments in a couple different ways. Sometimes it's just self-destructive behavior or, or lack of impulse control, whatever, that's leading to hey, I spent more than I'm making, right? If, if that's what you're facing, you've got to address that underlying problem. Now, you still have to deal with the debt as well, but that's, in my mind, different than kind of what I was thinking of here, which is you've actually got a unique one-off situation. You're in some real financial distress, and how do we handle it? Which I think is, is the situation that I was going through in my head. I'm going to throw a wrinkle into this, Dan, because I've seen a version of this happen, and my mind has gone here. IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, those long-term buckets that you would maybe be forced to dip into if you're out of cash, out of emergency funds, and now relying on the credit cards. Those are protected in a bankruptcy up to a certain extent. Now, I believe the federal limit on this, and each state may be a little bit different, but the federal limit on this is like a million and a half dollars where traditional and Roth IRAs are protected. And, and that's inflation-adjusted adjusts every three years. SEPs and SIMPLES are included in that. And then 401ks as ERISA plans also have very strong bankruptcy protection. So 
what it led me down the path of thinking about if you were in such dire financial circumstances that a bankruptcy was possible, you could, in theory, draw through all of your available 401k and Roth IRA assets, pay the taxes, pay the penalties. And if you still end up in bankruptcy, you are left with not only bad credit, but zero in assets. And in that situation, if you were headed for that, it would be smarter to declare the bankruptcy early before exhausting all of those resources and protect them, which I think is completely counterintuitive. And granted, I'm not telling anybody to go declare bankruptcy. I'm not a lawyer. That is a lawyer decision. So all, all the disclaimers that we need to throw at that absolutely apply. But I think that's a really interesting intellectual exercise on what's the difference between kind of using your resources to get the ship right versus if, if we're going down anyway, save yourself, right? Like as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that your mind went there because that wasn't the first thought I had. And I think it's very wise, by the way. If you have a chance to protect assets and you see your, the ship going down regardless, you may as well save everything you can, right? And create a safety net for yourself coming out the other side. From an emotional standpoint, I feel like that's a very hard line to cross because you know, you basically live with that on your credit report for a long time. And it's just emotionally draining, I'm sure, to go through that public process. Um, whereas dipping into money that you've saved to pay for something is an easier bridge to cross. But it does take awareness of knowing where you're going to end up and knowing what the underlying causes of the issue, whether it's a one-time event or an ongoing one, to know what the best course of action is for you. Yeah. In my mind, that's going to end up being the path if you've got some particularly large risk, whether that's like a lawsuit that you're involved in, if you're being sued for some large amount of money and you need the bankruptcy to save you there, or maybe a medical debt issue, in which case go listen to our episode with with Dollar Four and see if there's some help available to you before you go down any of those paths, because that's not a fun place to be. And you're right, there, there is a lot of knock-on effect to a bankruptcy. Borrowing is more expensive. Get, like If you're not in a home, getting into one will be very, very difficult access to credit is more expensive for many years. I think it's seven to 10 years, depending on the type of bankruptcy and what happens. In our business, that would also have to be disclosed. So there's professional ramifications. I don't believe... I think the CFP board will allow you to have one bankruptcy on your record if you can explain it, but does not allow repeat offenders to hold a CFP credential. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Again, I'm not suggesting that you take a bankruptcy lightly, but I do think it would be even more tragic if you're headed for that anyway to have spent through everything that would have ultimately helped you rebuild. And I, I think that that's a very somber thought to have, but it's it's a tough shift in your perspective to go from, should I just bail water out of the boat as, as fast as I can, or do I just want to let the boat sink so I can get on with my life and clean things up on the other side? This isn't directly the topic we were talking about, but having assets that are protected from bankruptcy is also interesting to think about when you think of what savings vehicles you should be using going forward. Like, Hopefully, it never comes to fruition, but there are certain buckets of money that are protected at a greater level than others. So saving into retirement accounts versus some crazy savings schemes that you see out there might be more beneficial for you long term especially if you're in an industry that exposes you to risk like lawsuits. All right, we're going to change gears here just a little bit. 
Uh, by a little bit, I mean a lot. And that's because we have one more topic we wanted to get into today. Here's where we're going, Dan. We're talking about taxes in August. Nowhere near April. Why are we talking about taxes? Why should we be thinking about taxes? What's on your mind today? So on my mind specifically, as someone who's self-employed and subject to estimated quarterly taxes, I'm always thinking about taxes. And what's frustrating about quarterly estimated taxes is they're often based on either last year's income or a projection of this year's income, which might frequently be wrong. So I might be paying based on something that won't come to fruition for this year. And the reason I keep paying those is out of fear for getting smacked with a underpayment penalty from the IRS. And what I thought was valuable for people to know is there is a way to avoid an underpayment penalty from the IRS. And that is through something that apparently the IRS doesn't use this term, but a lot of people do called the safe harbor withholding limits. All right. So safe harbor does not change how much you're going to ultimately pay in taxes, right? So we're not talking about adjusting how much you will owe. What we are talking about is avoiding the payment of a penalty, specifically an underpayment penalty. Now, unfortunately, Safe Harbor does not have the simplest rules. There are several ways to achieve it. And so it ends up being a little bit of a decision tree. The first decision in that tree is... Did you make over or under $150,000 for married filing jointly folks last year? Not this year, but last year. What is that limit? What do you have to put away in tax payments if you were under 150K? If you were under 150K, what you need to pay this year in withholdings throughout the year to avoid an underpayment penalty is either 90% of this year's tax bill or 100% of last year's tax bill. All right, so I I have to get close meaning 90%. I have to be very, you know, pretty close to what I what I'm going to owe anyway, or as long as I paid at least what I did last year, I'm okay. You're golden. That's right. If I'm over 150, how does that change? If you're over 150, we're still looking for 90% of this year's tax bill or 110% of last year's tax bill. I will note that we are on the IRS website right now, publication 505, and it specifies that this 110% rule does not apply to farmers and fishermen. So I just wanted to get that out there in the spirit of thoroughness. Does that mean farmers and fishermen don't have to get to 110%? It's just like they stay at the 100? That's how I read it. We've created a loophole for the farmers and fishermen out there. Right. You, you, can, you can stick at the 100% level as far as I'm concerned based on my reading of good old 505 on irs.gov. All right. Another disclaimer here. We are still not CPAs or tax people. So we are reading this just as you would as guys that like to talk about taxes and personal finance, but not as experts in what the IRS website says or means. Right. Absolutely. But so what does this mean? This means that at least one mystery is solved as far as taxes go for people with lumpy income or unpredictable income. We all have our prior year's tax return. I guess most of us, unless you filed an extension. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. So you can see what your tax bill was last year and where your AGI was and know what you need to reach to avoid an underpayment penalty at a minimum. And so as long as you pay at least that much throughout the year in taxes, you should be good. And then can siphon off money as it comes in to cover your 
remaining expected balance and either withhold that amount as well, pay it to the IRS in anticipation of your tax bill, or hold it aside. You can invest it in high-yielding cash accounts right now and pay it at the end of the year when you file. Yeah. So this came up for us because I think we're doing this calculation with a lot of clients right now. Um, We have a tool that does it, which is really nice. It basically uh, lets us look at a what we call pro forma version of the tax return. We can basically plug in what we think that estimated full year income is. We can look at what's been withheld so far, make an estimate of what will be withheld by the end of the year, and try and get as close as possible. You know, the people that I think are really affected by this and should be doing this work, number one, if you owed last year, then I think you should be paying attention because you have a high likelihood that somewhere in your kind of tax tree, you are under withholding somewhere. So we've found situations where maybe one spouse is withholding less than the other because the employer isn't kind of understanding what the household income looks like. This goes back to filing that withholding form, that W-4 form that we talked about in a prior episode where you can go through and adjust your withholding to make sure that they're taking enough out. So if you're at risk of that, if you know that you're at risk of that because that happened to you last year, this is a very good time of year to be checking that so you're not trying to make an adjustment with only a couple paychecks left before the end of the year. You've got some time to adjust between now and the end of December. Other people that I think should be taking a look at this right now, you've had a massive change in income. Whether that means you got a big bonus at work, big commissions at work, um, some sort of big influx of cash that you are not used to. If you had a large amount of restricted stock that vested this year where that doesn't normally happen, this is an excellent time to be looking at that because you may have an issue coming into it. So those are kind of the red flag situations. But even if you're just concerned, I think doing an estimate of what your taxes are going to look like before the end of the year leads to a really interesting conversation around what can be done, what should be done to make sure you're not heading into April with any surprises. Certainly. The worst surprise being that you've underestimated how much tax you're going to have to pay when you file and you've used that money elsewhere. So getting ahead of tax planning, I know it feels like we're right in the heart of summer, but really we have four months and change left in the calendar year. You know, Doing prep work will make life easier for you at the end of the year when your CPA asks for all your information. Yeah. I mean, I think other ways that you could be handling it, let's say you've got a massive potential tax bill for some reason. You could be looking at some charitable gifting or you know, gifting of appreciated stock, depending on how complex your portfolio is and other things that you have going on. So there are other ways that you could potentially lower your taxable income for the year if you were already thinking about that. And I'm sure we'll talk about donor advised funds later in the year as well, because I think it's something that we continually want to remind people about that those exist and that you could make direct charitable gifts with appreciated stock or even with cash if you have it. But you know, those are things that this is a, a good time of year to be evaluating, again, just with that amount of time that we've got left. It's always a good time to talk taxes. Right? We're a personal finance podcast. I think we can probably always get away with that. We can get it. And, and the people have spoken. They like it, apparently. It's true. They, they do not like golf. They do like taxes. 
<laughs> we have the most boring listener base <laughs> in the history of the world. But I mean, we love we, you. Yeah, we do. And apparently we cultivated it. So what, whatever we have built here, um, it is our doing. So we appreciate you. We'd love your input on what we're building. Check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for the show. We have shiny wine keys that we are going to be sending out to folks if your questions are answered on the show. So when you send your question in, if you just include your address with it, that would be helpful for us. Otherwise, it creates kind of a, a long back and forth. But if you want one of those wine keys, we will send it out when we answer the question if you if you send it with it. I know that's a little bit strange, but uh, if you don't want to, if you if you want to wait till we actually answer it, then we we talk about it. That's fine too. But send us your home address and your name and your social security number. And Ross or I will appear at your door within seven to 10 business days personally. <laughs> A hand-presented wine cake. No, that, is, that is not what we're going to do. Please don't send any of that. Dan's going to get us in trouble. No, yeah. that Clearly a joke, but we will mail you a wine key if you want it. Yeah. They're, they're good looking. I think they feel really nice. They feel like a nice quality. That's what I was worried about was that we were going to order this thing. And when you're ordering from these logoed shops, you can't tell if it's going to feel like cheap plastic or if it's going to feel like a quality piece of equipment. I do think it feels nice. I was worried about that too. I used it for the first time this week. I was very happy with the whole experience and the look of it. Once we get these out into the world, send us pictures too. We have an Instagram that we're very bad at populating at check your balances. I would love to throw some photos up there. Ross and I were together in person the other day and forgot to take pictures because I think we're not used to having a, a forum to share them, but we'll, we'll try to do that as well. We're not exactly living the influencer lifestyle, Dan. That's not you and me. No, it looked like it. We were in uh, downtown Alexandria by the water, and it could not have been a more beautiful day. So we, we should have gotten some photos, but at least we got to experience it in person. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Hope you're having a wonderful end of your summer. Enjoy back to school, all of the good stuff ahead of you. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next week. 